0: Recently, I saw a humorous meme. It had a picture of the two main characters from the famous movie, Back to the Future. Remember that movie? long time ago, it had Doc and Marty McFly. Doc was sitting in the DeLorean time machine, and he says to Marty, quote, Rule number one, never set it to 2020. Very true, wouldn't you agree? It's been a tough year so far. The past five months have been traumatic to our nation with COVID-19 and now the death of George Floyd and its aftermath. These are troubled times. And these troubled times are exacerbated by the fact that we live in an increasingly divided culture and nation politically, and socially. Now you guys know that I rarely change from my preaching plan and preach a new topic. But I wanted to pause the current series and preach one message because these troubled times can negatively affect the church, dividing us and distracting us from what God, God has called us to do. But the good news is, is that these troubled times can also be an opportunity for the church to shine brighter than ever. Do you believe that? So how do we do this? How do we do that? How do we remain focused on what God has called us to do and not be divided and to shine brighter than ever? I believe we must renew our minds. Which is why I entitled this message, Renewed Minds for Troubled Times. Romans 12, 2 declares, "...do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Scripture teaches that prior to salvation that our minds are darkened by sin because we do not know God. Once we become Christians, we now know God, but it doesn't mean that our minds are transformed right away. Rather, God begins a process of renewing our minds as we learn to love Him and to love our world Better. So our minds need to be renewed. It all starts with our minds. And in the midst of troubled times, we particularly need to renew our minds. You say, why is that? Well, because in troubled times, we're trying to make sense in the midst of chaos and turmoil. And we particularly uh, need to renewed minds because we're looking for something to provide us guidance and information, aren't we? And we all know that we are surrounded and bombarded by news and information, whether it's the, the national news that's accessible, but the, the touch of our fingertips, or social media, constantly trying to fill our minds and mold our minds according to what we are hearing or perhaps what People around us are saying these sources will mold our minds, but we need scripture to do so. We must fill our minds with God's word and let it guide us during troubled times. And praise God that the scripture does exactly that it is timeless, it is relevant. And it is powerful, and it is exactly what God's people need to dive in further more than ever. So today I'm going to offer five principles from the book of Romans. One principle from the last five chapters of the book of Romans. And I, church, we are called to apply All five of these principles, not just the ones that we like or that we resonate with, but following Christ means that as his disciples, we take upon ourselves all of God's word and live it out. This is what Christ calls us to do. And this is what our culture needs to see in the church. So let me invite you, if you haven't done so already, turn to Romans chapter 12. And to begin, the first principle that I want us to see is this. Grieve over tragedy. Grieve over tragedy. When you're there in Romans 12, Paul now has transitioned from his very deep, rich theological teaching in the first 11 chapters. Now he's going to bring it home with very practical application. And if you look there in verses 9 to 13, Paul focuses primarily on our relationships within the church. But then moving on past that in the rest of chapter 12, Paul focuses on how we are to engage with those outside the church. And so he says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So, in other words, when we meet somebody and they are happy, maybe they just got married, maybe there's a newborn baby or whatever it might be, we celebrate with them, don't we? When we encounter people who are sad, we are to weep with them. These are helpful words for dealing with troubled times as people grieve over things that they have lost. In the last few months, our nation has lost over 110,000 people from COVID-19, I know there is debate about the accuracy of the numbers, and we know that we need accurate numbers. But regardless of the exact figures, a lot of people have died. Especially in many cases when they died all alone, unable to see their loved ones as they passed away. That's incredibly sad, isn't it? If anyone should grieve their loss, I believe it should be Christians. Moreover, it's estimated that about 40 million Americans have lost their jobs. Life is still upended for many of them. So before we come completely embroiled in debates about COVID-19, let us remember the grief that people experienced in this tragedy. And in more recent days, the nation witnessed the sight of a handcuffed black man face down with a police officer's knee on his neck. He died a few minutes later, and his death was ruled a homicide. While legally permissible in Minnesota, where it occurred, the officer's actions were excessively brutal and widely denounced by other Police. That sight should cause us to be broken. Moreover, the greater blight of racism that has haunted our land for centuries should break us. Slavery, then segregation, and now discrimination are sins before a God who makes all people in His image. Now, someone might say, I did not personally commit those wrongs. Absolutely, that is a good point that certainly God takes notice of. But notice that Romans 12.15 does not say, weep with those who weep if you have wronged them. It simply says, to weep with those who weep regardless if you had any part at all. Do you see the difference? And if we're going to weep with those who weep, we must actually listen to them and truly care about their stories. After I wrote this down about the importance of listening, I came across an article that was written by Gary Knight. Gary is a church planter up in Hartford that we partnered with for several years. Gary is an African American, and he wrote this article for the Baptist Convention of New England titled, Our First Steps Toward a Unified Future, What Anglo Pastors Can Do to Build Bridges with Black and Brown Christians. And he gave three steps in his article, and the first step was to listen. He wrote, quote, You cannot begin to to minister adequately to black and brown people if you're not willing to listen for understanding. This is not a time to listen, to fix, or even respond, but strictly to apprehend the depth of our trauma. He went on to add, listening is the prerequisite for change. Listening is love. So the first principle is to grieve over tragedy as we try to renew our minds in troubled times. The second principle is to obey and honor your government. In troubled times, people will grow angry at the government, and sometimes oppose it at every turn. A renewed mind takes a different approach. Move to Romans chapter 13 and pick up with me in verses 1 to 5. The Apostle Paul writes these words, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. God instituted government. Paul, notice there, calls it the servant of God. In other words, when you obey the government, you actually are obeying God. Government, per se, is a good thing. It is meant to prevent bad conduct and to promote good conduct. Now, obviously, we all know that government is deeply flawed because it is led by people who are deeply flawed. Just like every area of life, sports, academics, arts, whatever it is, it's all deeply flawed because we are deeply flawed. But government by itself is a good thing. Therefore, we are to obey the government unless... It passes laws that require us to disobey God. Disapproval of a law is not enough. The law must require you to disobey God. You say, well, what what kind of laws would that be? Well, that would be laws like it's illegal to own a Bible, to pray, or to share your faith, or to gather with other believers. So Christians should obey their leaders even if you didn't vote for them, or you're strongly opposed to them, For good reasons. So when it comes to recent days, Christians should reject any temptation to riot and to destroy property. Such conduct breaks the law and violates the will of God. That sin should be exposed as wrong and not minimized. Let me go a step further. We should not only obey the government. but you ready for this? honor the government. 1 Peter 2, 13-14, he echoes the Apostle Paul's teaching about obeying the government, but then he also adds in verse 17 these words, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. In other words, we shouldn't just give a begrudging obedience and a compliance, but also a heartfelt recognition of the value of government. You don't have to agree with everything the government does. And it is Perfectly fine to seek change when possible. But honor is due nonetheless. Think about it. Peter is writing and he says to honor the emperor. This man was regarded as divine, the emperor. Now obviously you know that the early church completely rejected that blasphemous belief that the emperor was somehow divine. But yet, he told them to honor the emperor. So we should honor the government, and I believe, by extension, those who serve the government, like the military, like the first responders. We should be thankful for the overwhelming majority of faithful first responders, and particularly in our cultural moment, to be thankful for the police. Over the last few years, we have visited local first responders and expressed our gratitude with food and cards and prayers. May we continue to obey and honor the government. The third principle is to allow differences over debatable matters. Since we're still in Romans, go over to Romans chapter 14. Paul moves to the topic of debatable matters. The Church of Rome was comprised of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and apparently there was some disagreement amongst them about some of these Old Testament dietary laws and some of the special days, probably the Saturday Sabbath. Were we supposed to keep, keep, to keep this Saturday Sabbath, or was this no longer obligatory? Now, we know that under the New Covenant, Christians were no longer bound to keep these laws, However, some of the Christians there in Rome felt like they should. Now, I know to us, this doesn't sound like this really captivating big deal, but trust me, this would have been an enormous deal for this church there in Rome. But interestingly, Paul allows them to disagree over secondary matters. As long as people are seeking to honor God with their particular convictions, Paul is content to allow them to differ. He says in Romans 14, 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Then in verses 10 to 12, Paul says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. So we don't give an account to other people on Judgment judgment Day, do we? Who do we give an account to? The Lord, and that is it. So like Paul, we should allow differences over debatable matters. But in troubled times we know that those divisions and those differences, they become a lot more prominent, don't they? We really start noticing these things a lot more, and they trouble us, and they bother us more and more. And so we know that in recent days, in Christian circles, there's been debates about when do we reopen the churches in light of COVID-19. Some have really stressed the need to gather, Because it is vital for the personal, spiritual growth of themselves and the whole church. And yes, absolutely, the church is an essential service to every nation. Others really stress the need to be cautious because they don't want to get sick. Perhaps they're older, they have compromised immune systems, or they don't want to pass it on to somebody else. A few weeks ago, we had a Zoom conference. Remember that? where we discussed these details about when should we reopen. And praise God, we had a lot of agreement about these things, but there were some minor disagreements. You know what? Take a deep breath. It's perfectly fine because it's not an essential matter. We need to focus not on those things, but allow there to be some differences. It's not an essential of the faith. We all agreed that we need to gather. We all agreed that we need to take care of each other and look out for each other. We differed on the timing and some of the details. But we can allow that, can't we? With the George Floyd tragedy, all agree, or at least they should, that his death was a, was a wrong. All agree that there should be legal accountability for the police officers. However, they're debatable matters such as how do we go about actually improving the relations between races and preventing future injustices. If it was crystal clear, there would be no debate at all, would there? None of us knows the precise way to move forward with all of these issues that are complicated and deep. Each believer should pray and ask for God's leading by his spirit. And the church as a whole should allow for differences over debatable matters. Here's the fourth principle. It's so related to what we just said, but deserves its own point. Live in Christian harmony. Romans fifteen five 5-7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice, We may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So again, Paul was writing to this church of Gentile and Jewish Christians. Prior to this, we know that the Jews and the Gentiles, boy, they were bitterly divided. And so for them to come together and to be united in Christ was one of the most powerful testimonies about the power of God to bring people this divided together. Christ broke all those barriers down, and it's a remarkable testimony to who he is. Only God could do this, amen? And it's still the same. God is glorified when his church stays united despite differences that we might have with age, with race, with income, with gender, or whatever. What a testimony when we can stay united As a church. But sadly, we will rob God. Do you see it that way? We're going to rob God of His glory if we allow things that are secondary, to that are important, but ultimately somehow they become supreme in our lives. But that's the thing. The things that often will divide people, they're not trivial things. They're important things. But somehow they get elevated to become the most important thing. the result is devastating you know that when a church divides it effectively ceases its ability to grow spiritually and to grow numerically because it's going to spend all of its energy and all of its resources trying to heal the wounds that are taking place within itself right It's just like a person that's sick. They can't go out and do their normal activities, and they can't grow in the sense of strength and so forth because they're spending all of their energy just trying to get back to normal, right? Likewise, to carry out effective ministry, we have to remain united in troubled times. So let me ask you, what matters most to you? What matters most to you? What consumes your time, your attention, your conversation? Is it a secondary matter, no matter how noble it is? Or is it the gospel? The gospel should be ultimate. And God wants us to put first things first, amen? Are you willing to put the gospel above all else? Are you willing to allow disagreement over secondary things and not grow embittered? Ephesians 4 3 tells us to quote, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And just before moving on to the last point here, I just want to clarify something. When we talk about having unity, we're not talking about uniformity. We're not saying, okay, hey, we know that there's some differences of opinion about this, that, and the other, so we're just going to make sure that we never talk about those things. We're not saying that. It's actually the, the total opposite within the church, or it should be. Because exactly we are united in Christ, because we do share the same foundation, we're free to discuss those things. Because at the end of the conversation, we're going to go back to Christ and the foundation that we have. That's something that shows the world a difference, right? Where the world is at each other's throats because they don't have that common bond. We do have that common bond and can actually work through some of those things together. Amen? So we've seen grieve over tragedy. The need to obey and honor your government. To allow differences over debatable matters. To live in Christian harmony. And then the fifth principle is to wait for the final victory of God. Troubled times are inescapable. We're in one now. There'll be one in the future, won't there? They're always going to be around. We've been told that. And we know it from history. But be encouraged that it's only temporary. The last passage is Romans 16.20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Scripture repeatedly promises that Jesus is coming back. And he is, when he does, he's going to judge the world and destroy Satan once and for all. As it says there, God will crush Satan under your feet. From that point on, there's no longer going to be sin. No longer going to be death. All of the wrongs are going to be righted. And God's not done. He's going to bestow resurrection bodies on all of His people. Renew this world order, this new creation that we're going to inhabit. Let that be the heart and focus of of our minds. When we're going through these hard times, not to dismiss them or make light of them, but they should almost just pale in comparison. We should almost have a little chuckle in our spirit to think about, this is nothing because of what awaits us. This is a fleeting shadow in light of eternity. These pains that I'm going through, God's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to restore all things. So I don't need to become so embroiled in the thing of the moment when I have eternity that's guiding my heart and my mind. And I want to take as many people as possible there with me because that is the mission of the church. So, oh, we look forward to that day. And That's why we echo what John said in the book of Revelation when he said, Come, Lord Jesus. So let me ask you, are, are you ready for the return of Christ? As we saw earlier, each person is going to stand before him on Judgment Day. Here's how you actually can be ready for that day. Don't just assume you're ready. We need to see what Scripture says about how to be ready. It says Jesus is omniscient. He knows your heart inside and out. He knows everything we've ever thought, done, said. He knows the good, but he also knows how we violate his law. And since he is just and righteous, he can't simply just overlook those things. That's bad news, but here's the good news. He's given you a chance to be forgiven. He's given you an opportunity to receive eternal life. Do you know for certain that you have eternal life? This is how you receive it. The Bible's very clear. Very clear. Leaves no mystery in how a person is to respond. The Bible says we're to repent of our sins. The ways that we have fallen short in this life, we're to turn from those things and turn to God and say, you know what, I want to start living your way, God, to do a 180, a turnaround and start living the way you've called me to live, God. And I realize also that I have fallen short of the glory of God. And I have disobeyed your will and your law for my life. And I know that Jesus Christ has died for me. He took my place. He's the substitute. He's the one that can wash away all of my sins and make me right with God and to help me know Him, as we say. So to repent from our sin and to believe in Christ. When we do that, God has promised you eternal life, and he will never change his promises. Amen? Claim that promise of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Church, these are troubled times, no doubt. But if we will renew our minds, each one of us can bring much glory to God. And point this world to Christ. Are you with me? Let's do it today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark. We thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is timeless, always able to speak a clear, distinct word for our day, and for our age. We never outgrow it or move past it. It's always relevant. And Lord, we pray that you've spoken to our hearts today. We know that these principles that Paul has spoken of here are not easy. We might gravitate toward one or the other, but to hold all five of them is difficult. God, we pray that we would align our hearts to what your word has explained to us today and where you have spoken. Maybe those blind spots that have come out, Lord, we ask your forgiveness and for your grace to have renewed minds for your glory. And what I pray is we do think about that day when you return. I pray for each one here this day. pray for each one listening online. That they would be ready for that day. And that if they're not at this moment, Lord, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, even now, and be saved. Thank you that you're always there, always there to embrace someone who turns to you. May today be that day of salvation. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your church. Thank you for just the privilege of being together with your people.